Hello and welcome to Podcast Industry Experts, your monthly slice of podcast industry news served with a side of expert opinions. I'm Matthew Stevens, the head of marketing and content strategy here at Queued Up Audio. And I'm John Luckenbaugh, the lead audio engineer and owner of Queued Up Audio. Together, we're your podcast industry experts. On the first Friday of every month, we'll be breaking down what the latest podcast news actually means for podcasters and talking shop with other podcast industry experts. From current events to the latest statistics and everything in between. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Podcast Industry Experts. As always, I am one of your hosts, Matthew Stevens, and as always, I am joined by my fellow co-host, John Luckenball. John, how you doing? Matt, this is awesome. We are embarking on to a new year. Woo! How's that? A new year and a new guest. I want to introduce everyone to Lauren Passell. How's it going, Lauren? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. Oh, thanks for being here. If you don't know Lauren, she does podcast the newsletter at Tink Media as well. And then you can always check out her podcast marketing tips at Podcast Marketing Magic. We'll include those all throughout the rest of the show and in the show notes. So just make sure to go ahead and click on those and we got you taken care of. Well, look, in 2021, you released a daily tip for podcast marketing on your Twitter account that was part of like that hashtag tweet 100 thing that everyone was doing. I believe currently the last one that I saw was 104. So you're a little ahead of where you needed to be. Uh, and then, of course, you turn those into the Podcast Marketing Magic newsletter. We had a few that stuck out to us. So I figured we'd go ahead and talk about them and, and have us dive in a little bit further into each one. The first one that really stuck out to us was your podcast marketing tip number two, which is value your niche audience. Those are your people. Find them, spend time getting to know them, and engage with them. What an awesome tip. That's something I know we preach about here as well, which is being a niche is not a bad thing. Oh, I know, because I would rather send my client to someone with a small audience who is really going to connect with them than have an enormous audience where there's not a lot of connection. Those people are the people that are going to come back every single time. They're going to be the people that tell their friend. They're going to become the obsessives. It's almost like the small audiences, they're more valuable because it re- they feel like family. Those are real numbers. Those are real people. If I get my client in front of a a show with even just 100 listeners, that's 100 new people. And if it's the right audience, they're all going to follow over. If it's the wrong audience, none of them will. I love those little fanatic weirdos like me who love those shows with smaller audiences. Those are great groups of people. That's really a big reason why we kind of restructured our podcast over the last couple of months, Lauren, to really niche down and be able to engage the small audiences that we do have and provide value to our listeners. For example, I guess one thing we liked with POP or queued up podcasts and podcasting was the relationships we started to form with guests that we had on. While we refocused POP to cater more for an audience that is new to doing podcasting, i.e. tips on creating a better podcast or growing your audience, we didn't want to lose out on the, the networking, the relationships, sort of what we were discussing before we started here. And that's kind of where Pi comes in, or podcast industry experts. We get to engage with leaders within the podcasting industry. We can spend time getting to know them. We get to tackle esoteric subjects. We make in-depth dives on industry stats that someone new to podcasting might not have an interest in from the start, 
or it provides those corporate clients looking for an internal or external podcast the stats they need to possibly sway them in the direction of having a podcast or having a podcast be a part of the content strategy. I completely agree. I really love that tip of focusing on a core audience. Yeah. And think of everything that you just said versus, you know, that's one person that could have all of these different relationships with you over so many different platforms and engage with you in so many different ways. And so you could have that or you could have 100 people who don't even listen, but just download it. Who do you want more as a podcaster anyway? Are you in it for the downloads or for the people that are listening and the connections? You know, so for so many reasons, I think those are my favorite people, those those tiny, small audiences. Well, I think it's also important to note that we're saying small audiences, but there are tons of people that love niche things. I mean, I, my go-to example when talking to clients is, I mean, look at furries. Not not to make fun of anybody, but people wear fur costumes of like anthropomorphic dogs. There's enough to have multiple conventions. You would not think so, right? But that clearly is there. There's clearly a business line there. There's a whole industry surrounding it. There's conventions where people around the world get together to go do this thing. I promise you, no matter what you're talking about, not that small of an audience. You just need to figure out how to get in front of those people. It feels small until you find the people and you realize it's not. It's funny. One of my favorite examples is I work with someone, um, Ariel Nissenblatt, the queen of podcast Twitter. She had a podcast called Counter Programming. Yes, love it. The whole point was, let's get some counter to all this pandemic talk. And really, the show was her and her friend, Shira, who's a comedian. And every episode was just something that had to do with counters, whether it be counter marble counters or count chocula or whatever just it had to have the word counter in it now that's very niche she was able with good marketing to get more than 100,000 downloads on that show about counters it can be done you find those people yeah that's that's exactly it and obviously it always starts with your niche and, and then having good content that goes along with it but as long as you know your niche you know who your target audience is. One of your other podcast marketing tips was number three, social media engages the audience you already have. It does not grow it. Again, that's something I don't think we can all preach enough about. So often do we see people just throwing up a million pieces of social content and going, why don't I have any more downloads? The answer is because podcast people aren't on social media to be on podcasts. They're not looking for pod. Well, let me revise that. Most people aren't looking for podcast recommendations on there. Uh, you're going to be going for singular people. So, of course, they're not going to see it. It's not who you're talking to. You're talking to the people you already have engaged. This is my favorite thing to talk about. But I get two different reactions when I talk to people about it. Some people are like, oh, phew, I don't, I don't want to spend all day on social media. And a lot of times those are people that really want to spend time making their show better. Sometimes, though, and this is my mistake of actually tweeting that people are spending too much time on Twitter, that I get a lot of bad responses that are like, that's not so. I do a lot on Twitter and I grow a lot on Twitter. I think it's very good to be on social media. But the problem is, I think that people are like, yeah, I'm marketing my show. I'm on Twitter all day. And it's like, that is not marketing your show. That is having fun on Twitter, which is great. Like you could think you spent hours talking to people on Twitter. That's I could use that time 
better somewhere else. And we can talk about that later. If you follow a lot of podcasters and you tweet out something about your show, you might get a lot of likes because the podcast community loves is a great place. They're very supportive of each other. Those are people that are going to listen to your show. Podcasters on Twitter are generally trying to get other people listening to their show. So at some point, it becomes this echo chamber of everyone just talking about their shows and liking things and maybe retweeting things, but not actually downloading. And my least favorite thing about Twitter, which I love Twitter, is you see those tweets that say podcast recommendations and everyone just throws in their podcast. It makes no sense. They, If someone said, I love pasta, throw pasta content at me and I sent you my pasta podcast, that would make sense. But I want a podcast that's not enough information to get a good recommendation. So people, I think, spend a lot of time promoting, 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 and it's not a good use of people's time. I do think you need to have a presence in case people, so that you can be there if people rave about you. I have a newsletter. When I rave about podcasts, I want to tag them and I want to tell them. And you want people to be able to find you. I just think people spend too much time doing it. And it's better to have a good looking page than one that you were all the time activating. Instagram, when I started my company, I had just nine tiles that were beautiful because I figured no one's going to scroll down past nine tiles. And then I did a lot in stories. So if I wanted to do something so that I didn't want to obsess over making posts all day. So you could do that with Twitter too. Make it look really nice so that you know your logo is good. You have a pod link or a link tree in your bio, not a link to Apple Podcasts, you know, so that you can give people the correct experience, make it look really good, and then don't worry about it. Do you think there's still a need for doing some stuff on social with uh, like audiograms and quote graphics and how people pull out segments from their podcast to, to promote that episode? That's such a good question, honestly, because I think I worked at a podcast company and we did spend so much time on audiograms. We did and too. So, oh my gosh. They're, they can take a really long time. If they're not taking a lot of time, then yes. Because any r- visual reminder, anything that sticks out, you know, I always say, I think podcasts should do video trailers because so few of them do them that when I can remember almost every single one I've ever seen because I like them so much. So anything that you can just catch people's attention in a different way. I think it's great. But the only downside is if people are spending too much time on audiograms, because I don't actually think they drive anything. We would create a lot of audiograms and quote graphics and stuff. And that's something that we we didn't see the the traffic. We didn't see the conversion to downloads. There were some audiograms that had a lot more engagement than some of the other posts that we had, which that worked well. But for the amount of time and effort we put into it, it just doesn't translate. An audiogram is almost like an, a radio teaser. Like it's just a little bit, give you a taste of the episode to just help draw you in. If just the idea that the episode coming on on a certain day isn't enough to woo you in, maybe you can engage your audience that way and, and just remind those folks like, hey, a new episode of The Connors is coming on, just like we see on television or on radio. But yeah, I think so often a lot of companies and a lot of podcasters themselves are like, give me every audiogram. Like, just basically turn the whole show into little audiograms. And it's like, well, that's that no one's going to click on your podcast, are they? Hey, like, of course you don't have download numbers. Uh, everyone's viewing your podcast that way. I helped build this app called Hark Audio, and it is all about clips. And we make, basically make mixtapes for podcasts. 
But podcasters can use it too. And so if you download Hark Audio, and I don't mean to be advertising it, I truly think it is a great thing for podcasters. You can make clips of your show very easily and then download social assets. And that's, I think, a better use of your time than audiograms because it doesn't take any time. You just clip your favorite moment and then press download and it'll give you an Instagram story, you know, any asset you need. Is that similar to like what Riverside just came out with, with their clip program? I didn't know about that. I just got an advertisement for it the other day. Like as you're going through doing a live recording, you can make little markers in your recording. And at the end, it'll pull out those segments and social ready clips for you. That does sound similar. Yeah. Except they're on the recording end. We're on the, it's already been recorded. Yeah. But that's great. I think you're right, Lauren. I think, uh, if you could shorten that time, it makes more sense. If you're spending hours on it and you're frustrated by it, don't because it's not the thing that's going to suddenly make you have a million listeners. Audiograms look nice, like have fun, do it, but don't think it's going to be a game changer. Our next tip that we really liked was number 22, which is your episode transcripts on your website. You simply must, <laughs> which is episode transcripts on your website. You have that they're crucial for accessibility and They're good for SEO. Something that recently happened with uh, SiriusXM, where they were sued by the National Association for the Deaf, saying that podcasts weren't accessible on their platforms because they didn't have a transcript for them for those hard of hearing to read. What are your thoughts on that? It's not hard to get good transcripts. It is an extra step. We have to be thinking of everyone with the, with the things that we make, and especially the people most vulnerable. If they need help getting to my content, I want to get them my content. I want to get as many people my content as care to listen. I think it's super important. It's one of my, I say this about all my tips, but no, I'm just kidding. But it's one of my favorite tips because I, I just saw um, Jonathan Van Ness has a podcast called Getting Curious. And I actually tweeted, I was like, Jonathan Van Ness has the perfect website, podcast website, because I was like, it checks off all the boxes, has a great transcript space. Then I tweeted it. And when I tweeted it, I saw that the social asset didn't carry over into the tweet. It didn't pull. And I was like, well, except for this one thing. So, (laughs) but if you want to see, I think what a good setup is, go to Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. That's a good example of having the transcripts right up in front. And for someone like me who, is writing a newsletter, you know, sometimes I need to do research to write about what I've listened to. I don't remember everything. And it drives me nuts. This can be in the show notes. But if you interview a doctor, you have to put that doctor's name. You know, if you link link to the, what they're doing, sometimes I can't even hear what they're saying. You know, so the transcript solves all of those problems. I'm more likely to write about your show if you have a transcript. So, Lauren, one of the things that you have here with the tip is that a transcript is not a script. What do you mean by that? Well, a script offers directions, and this transcript is really just the wording. For these transcripts, is this something where you might recommend going to something like Temi, where it's super cheap, you can get this done automatically, even though it might have some errors throughout? Or is there a different service that you can use? I mean, we like Rev, but it's a little bit more expensive to, to go through that. I had a podcast for a little bit because I wanted to test to see what people were going through. And I used Temi and I mean, it was like $3 an episode. I mean, it was really, really cheap and it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty great. And if you really, really want to go in and fix everything, I think 
a lot of podcasters are perfectionists. And that's why getting transcripts seems like such a pain because you have to make sure they're perfect. And I understand that. But honestly, I don't demand them to be perfect. If I'm reading a straight up Temi strip, I'm not going to be, I'm just going to be grateful for what you've provided me with the Temi script. Do you have to clean it up a lot with Rev? I'd say 99% of the time, no. But again, it's dollar twenty-five a minute to go through. So for a 30-minute podcast, what's that, like 50 bucks? Yeah. So, but it's, it, it comes out good. You can put like a glossary of terms and stuff. So like names. And if you do have a medical one where you can put some medical jargon in there that they can go through and make sure it's done correctly. Wow. I mean, I've been using Rev for maybe two, three years. And I've had to change things maybe two or three times. It's it's very rare. That's good to know. But also, I feel like I need to talk faster because this is such money, money, money. (laughs) (laughs) I will say with Pemi, though, that service regularly butchered like whole sentences. But that the only time I've really seen it done or used was on a medical show. So it's probably not the greatest version of that that it could possibly give me. I think you need to have time to fix with Temi. The idea of not having to go in blows my mind. Like, I definitely would have to go in and fix. But I've said this to people that they should get transcripts and they say, I, I can't afford it. And I mean, I think if you have any sort of money, which you must, if you're doing all this stuff, I think transcripts should be in that budget. And if, so maybe they don't have to be the expensive Rev transcripts, but at least give people something with Temi. And maybe if you can spend the time making it work. It's also a really good point to note that like closed captioning on shows isn't perfect either. Like movies sometimes don't have it, you know, perfect either. It happens. It doesn't need to be word for word, syllable by syllable, perfect. But it needs to be good enough to where if you're hard of hearing, you could follow along and pick up, generally speaking, what's happening. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's better than having nothing and pretending like those people aren't there. So. I'm so glad you talked about the transcript tip. You know, you've mentioned this a few times, but your podcast marketing tip 31, I think, uh, uh, sums it all up in a really good way, which is everyone wants a silver bullet, but there is none. Think about those mailers you received about your neighborhood dentist. You ignore them until you need a dentist. Be consistent, repeat, be consistent, repeat, be consistent, repeat. You mentioned it earlier on that, like, yeah, the the audiograms not going to be the one size, one shoe fits all type of solution for you. Social media as a whole isn't going to be a, a, a golden brick road to success. It's something that a lot of podcasters should hear and, and should digest a little bit more and realize they probably need to spread their attention across the board, not just in one single spot. There are no rules, which is really good and really hard. And, you know, this is so new, which means we're the pioneers and which is really good, but also really hard. So I talk to podcasters all day and I'll go from one conversation and I'll hear podcorn really worked for me. And then I'll talk to someone five minutes later and they'll go, podcorn did not work for me. It's everyone has a different experience. So I really wouldn't put too many eggs in one basket. I would try everything and balance. What am I having the most fun with? Because that's super important too. And it'll show and something might work for you that might not work for somebody else. So if you're listening to someone talk about their success, just keep that in mind and test it out and pay attention to the data. I think people also do a lot of things and don't even look at how they're doing. That's a great point, Lauren. That's similar to what we have gone through with even the recording of the podcast, where some people are like, oh, Die Hard Squadcast or Riverside, or why are you using Zoom? 
isn't that the lowest quality of them all or you find one that works your point about being data driven i think is even more important because you're right that's what we see from clients is what we see from podcasters who are like help help i need you know i'm not doing anything i'm spending this much money or i'm doing this the answer is, is whenever you go like all right well what is your click through rate what are what are the stats behind it they go what, what are you talking about it's like why are you just throwing money into a fire and not even watching it burn? Like, you don't even do anything <laughs> cool with it. Yeah, I have a friend who has a pretty big show. And whenever I ask them about their numbers, they say, I'm afraid to look. It's an awareness, but it's also fear. I, there's That's so many things. Point. It's like, you have to look or get somebody else to look and then tell you. I'm like, do you want me to look and I'll tell you? Yeah, uh, that's that's a really good point. I didn't even think about like fear or anxiety would creep into that, but you're you're right. I mean, that makes perfect sense that people are afraid of of failure, so they don't want to see they don't want to see the dip down at any point, and that scares them, or they don't want to see a smaller number than what they were expecting. But you have to, you have to know if what you're doing is is working, or else you're just speaking out into the ether, and that's fine. I think some podcasts and podcasters perfectly happy with that. But you need to know that you're perfectly happy with that before you do it. There's two things that I ask podcasters. And I talk to podcasters all day. I say, what are your numbers like? They almost never know. Or they say, oh, hang on a second. Let me look. How do I open this? And the other thing is I say, what works for growing a podcast? And they say, I have no idea. Those are the two, I, almost all the time. That's Those are the responses I get. If I don't get one of those responses, I'm like, oh my goodness, who? Look at you. You know your numbers. How many times do you hear it? Hey, Lord, can I, can you grow my podcast in six months to 100,000 downloads? People want that. You know, people want the silver bullet. But. It, it would be nice if there were. But then again, if there were, all of us would have million listener podcasts. Exactly. So. This is a fun time. And, you know, we're going to look back on this time and be like, do you remember when, you know, like we'll reminisce about this stuff. So enjoy it now. Yep. Yep. Podcast marketing tip number 50. What is my goal? Why am I doing this? Figure that out and then focus on it with every move. I think that sums up pretty much everything we've talked about, which is it's okay to be a niche, but know who your target audience is, you know, know why you're doing it. So that way you can, everything is focused around that, that thing. We wrote an article about it and we've had a podcast episode around it where we talked exactly about goals and that a lot of people's thought is that their goal should be, I want to have the most listeners. But for a lot of people, it's not actually what their goal is. I want to make money. I want to do a million other different things. I want to sign a book deal. I want to get, you know, whatever. Not necessarily always through the most listeners, which is, I think, super key when knowing what the hell you're doing. Yeah, that's the other actually question that I ask people. What is your goal? And I can't believe how many people say, no one's ever asked me that before. And I think, have you ever asked yourself that before? Because it's true, there's philosophical goals. Like, I want to make a difference in the world. <laughs> and then there's, yeah, I want to be able to get advertising. I want to launch something, you know, like, really think about it. And then do you remember when we were in school and we had to like write essays and it was like, you had to have a like, what was it? A theme sentence? I forget what it was called. Then every single thing should go back to that goal. You know, does this help that goal? And I don't think people are thinking that way. The same thing with your, with a business, right? You need a mission statement and you exactly. base everything off your mission statement. Yeah. And we've talked about time and money throughout this episode. If you don't know what your goal is, you are probably almost assuredly wasting time and or money. Yes. Doing Ooh. things that aren't your goal. 
That's the audiogram clip for this episode. That's good. <laughs> if money or is your goal, like then you'll know if you can afford Rev or Temi. You know if you need to use Zoom or if you want to use something else. Like it will dictate all of your decisions. Going through the rest of these marketing tips, there are a couple topics that you've kind of focused in on through several of these tips. One of them is podcast partnerships. What are some ways you can partner with other shows? Okay, I know I keep saying this, but that is truly my favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) Every time I get a client, I make a big list. I open up a Google Doc and I make a huge list of podcasts that I want my show to partner with. And I basically am thinking of it as I want to set up my podcast on a play date. Who am I going to set them up on the play date with? I can tell you in a second how I go about making that list. But each show, I think also exactly the way I want to work with them. So in the column, there's the show. I get the contact information and my ideal partnership with them. Because when I reach out to them, I really want my outreach to them to be an open door. Because you're, you know, you're asking about like what, how to partner. There's a lot of different ways. And you don't want to just ask them for one specific thing. You really just want an open door so that they respond to you and you begin an engagement. That's what works. It's not going to move the needle to do one partnership. But if you have a healthy diet of partnerships, it will absolutely increase your numbers. And sometimes I even suggest just reaching out to a podcaster you like or you feel like there's a playdate situation in the future and say, do you just want to talk for 15 minutes? Because I guarantee you won't, you will come in with no ideas and you'll leave with at least one idea because they'll say something or you'll come back later. You know, they'll think of you when they need something. My favorite kind of partnerships are promo swaps, which, you know, it's when someone says, if you like this show, you'll also like this other show. And people can be pitching themselves as guests. I also think there's feed drops, you know, dropping entire episodes into other feeds to give a really good example of a way one of my clients is working with other shows. I work on this show called How to Do the Pot, and it's about cannabis for women. And the host has a weekly episode that's beautifully produced, informative, instructive episode about cannabis that is like helpful about health or edibles or whatever. Then she has also once a week a series called the first time I bought legal weed. And all it is is a five-minute voicemail that someone has emailed her telling a very quick story about the first time they bought legal weed. Now, this content is just as popular as the rest of her content. People love it. And then if she wants to partner with someone, but she doesn't have time to totally interview them, she can give them this thing. But the other thing is when I'm marketing, I have collateral. I have something to barter with. So I go to shows and I say, can Ellen be on your show? You can be on Ellen's show. Now I have something, a tool to use. And I think that is the new way to think about podcasting. How can you make your content more marketable? So that's a really smart way to work with other people because these partnerships, you shouldn't just ask for something. You should have something to give them in return. And maybe I'm sure you do, but you just make them aware of it that you're not just asking for something. This actually ties into our previous point about goals We have several clients who their only goal for their podcast is to network with people they want to network with. And in the world of LinkedIn having a a bazillion and a half people on it, and it's all salespeople constantly pinging you for services, what better way than to have an authentic conversation with someone? Granted, it's recorded, but have an authentic conversation with someone on a podcast. You now have all their contact information. You're, You're now buddies because you've spoken for an hour and a half. 
you now have formed a very good networking ability that that you wouldn't have had any other way. And the listeners are great. Any additional other things are great. But that's really what they're there for is to go ahead and connect with people that they wouldn't be able to connect with. But everyone loves to hear, hey, would you be on my podcast to talk about your business? Yeah. And the good thing is if you could think of a, say, a series or something, you know, like I really like this. We're talking about niche audiences, right? That's a niche question. The first time I bought legal weed, people love it. You're not going to find that on any other show. So if you're trying to make your show stand out, that's another great thing to do. And I'll tell you, people will be listening to hear if there's is being used. Then when it is, they'll share it with everyone they know. It doesn't take Ellen a lot of time to do this. It's not even a huge time commitment, but it's getting just as many downloads as the rest of her content. That's crazy. And that's that is another great point to, to point back to content is king, which is if you create really good, engaging content, it doesn't have to be an hour and a half long. It will do the job. Know your people and know what they want. Send out a survey. I don't think people podcasters survey enough. Ask them how they found you. Ask them what other shows they listen to. Ask them what they like and don't like. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Find out what your audience actually is. So Lauren, how do you set up and pitch a cross-promotion strategy with another podcast? So I make this list. And one thing I do, have you heard of the website Raphonic? Yeah, we were looking at that earlier. That's a really cool site. Oh, I get so upset when I'm telling my clients about Raphonic and I show them over Zoom and they don't get excited. My feelings get hurt because I'm like, this is cool. You should be very excited. So it's yeah. raphonic.com slash graph and you type in your podcast and it'll kind of tell you the universe that your neighborhood that your podcast lives in. So you can find people to work with that way. And that is using Apple data. So you know that it's listeners that listen to this podcast also listen to this other podcast. And another thing you can just do is look up your podcast on Apple Podcasts and almost all apps. It will say, you might also like this. It's really a lot of rabbit holes. And that's how I find the shows to work with. And then once I find a show that I really like, then I go back and put it in Raphonic. And then I go back and I put it in Apple. So I find the perfect match. So that's really how I am finding these people. And then when I reach out to them, I usually ask for something. I usually say, uh, would you like to do a promo stop with me? That's why I have that column that's, this is the way I want to work with that podcaster because they might not do promo stops. I need to know about their show. You know, That's why these pitch letters should take 15 or 20 minutes at least because you need to know what they want and what they need and who they work with. The pitch letter is... Is it like a PDF that you send out or is it just like a Google Doc or do you make it all nice with graphics? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I've noticed podcasters don't want any of the fancy stuff in general. I think it's maybe because it's a newer industry. You know, I used to work in book publishing and we would make really nice press releases. And as someone with a newsletter, if I get a really fancy press release, I think, oh, okay, a million people got this. I don't care. The best pitch letters, and this is what I hear all across the board. We do, uh, Ariel and I do Twitter spaces with uh, podcast newsletter writers all the time. And they all say the same thing. They say, it's better if you write a note. And 100 words is enough. You just have to get that conversation going. Really, 100 to 300 words is the best amount of writing. And another thing, if you can get someone's attention, if they have a newsletter. So I have a newsletter, but if the podcaster has a newsletter. Write your pitch in a response to that newsletter and subscribe to a little bit before you actually do. If you respond to that newsletter, you're approaching someone with open arms as opposed to someone with closed arms because I get a million pitches a day and I can't even read them all. 
But when I send out a newsletter, I am monitoring that newsletter. So if people are responding to it, I'm reading it. That's that's a fantastic point. As we've talked about the entire time, know who your target audience is and then get them where they're at, which is, that's exactly it. You're paying attention to those numbers. So that makes sense. And then the promo swap is just, you know, I've noticed people are pretty loosey-goosey with like not demanding that it's an exact match. First, you have to know if they do dynamic ad insertion. And if they do, then you can get an exact match. And if you do too, but if you do baked in, which just means that the ad, you read it on the podcast and it lives there forever then, you know, you could say, how many downloads do you get per episode? And if I get 5,000 and you do 10,000, then I could do two. Or this is where the bartering and negotiation comes in. What if I have a social media account? I could throw that in. Or what if I have this, the first time I bought legal weed segment, I could have you on my show. So that's another reason I always tell people, shoot for the stars, email people with shows much larger than yours, because you're offering them good content they might really want to tell their audience about you. And you could offer them other things other than downloads if you have a relatively small show. Lauren, what about the placement of those promo swaps? Where do you recommend putting those pre-roll, post-roll? I recommend mid-roll for everything. Pre-roll comes in last place. People are prepared to skip that. They are situating themselves. They're not in the zone yet. So actually, I would say post-roll is better than pre-roll. But if you can get mid-roll, that's great. And then I'll always ask for it to be in the show notes if you can. Because sometimes, especially in dynamic advertising, you might go back and listen and that ad is gone. If you have a place where you can put these notes, that's really helpful. Yeah, that makes sense. It's giving you a little bit of baked in through just being in the show notes. Well, granted, not everyone's going to see, but at least it gives you something if you're doing dynamic ads. So that way it carries on over time. We talked about newsletters, Lauren. You, you have a newsletter uh, again for anyone listening. Podcastthenewsletter.substack.com. Uh, so pretty easy to get to. You mentioned on your podcast marketing tip number eighteen, spending money on in-app or on other podcasts is smart, but also smart spending money in newsletters. Uh, you say that people are more likely to click on a newsletter, find super niche audiences, and then think not just podcast newsletters but topical matches. I'm going to dive a little bit more into, into topical matches rather than just newsletters themselves, right? There's podcast newsletters like mine. You shouldn't be pitching to them. But also, you know, if you have a book podcast, there's a lot of book newsletters or just like lifestyle newsletters or even using Raphonic or something to find similar audience matches going after those newsletters. The podcast space, as I said, is a lot of people promoting their own stuff and not always people downloading. But getting to those, if someone's really obsessed with a certain author or something and you get into a newsletter, they're, they're probably going to go download it. So thinking of newsletters in two different ways, the podcast newsletters and then the niche audience newsletters. So for example, like your uh, client Ellen would go to like a cannabis newsletter to put her yeah. cannabis podcast. Yeah. And that would probably stick out too, because you're not getting a lot of podcast pitches. You know, they might be really excited to include you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another great, great point. What's the average click-through rate for your newsletter, if you don't mind me asking? Podcasts, the newsletter is usually 48 to 53%. <laughs> so, crazy. you know, it's still growing, but it's people that really, really, really enjoying the content. It makes me really happy. The podcast marketing magic is it's new, so it's higher. So we'll see if those people hang around. And that open rate is 69%. So that one wow. is the biggest one I've ever seen. But it's a small audience for that one. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, I know, generally speaking, like 
newsletter open rates are like 20%, I think, and just generally speaking in every industry. So like the fact that you're, you're double, triple that is, is intense. And more importantly, for those listening, the people that are subscribed to that are podcast listeners. You're not, you're not reaching somebody that's never going to open a podcast app. These are the podcast nerds. Ideally, the people you want listening, the people that are going to be most likely to become your fans, your subscribers, your, your spreading the gospel around uh, about your podcast. That's the people that you want. So, duh. Pitch Lauren. Speaking of pitches, what have been the best pitches that you can remember, like coming into you for a spot on your newsletter? I'm so glad you asked because I actually, in Podcast Marketing Magic, not every time, but sometimes I feature the best pitches I've gotten because I want to give those tips of what they look like. I mean, they all have something in common where they're personal. I always joke and say, if you tell me you like my dress, I will do whatever. I've also heard people say they don't like it when the person says, I liked your episode on blah, blah, blah. And it's their most recent episode because it makes it seem like they didn't really dive in. They just went lazily to the last, the most recent episode. But my favorite thing, personally, it's different for everyone, is when someone says, thank you for recommending this show. I love this show now that, that I gave them value so that they're a reader of my newsletter. You know, I can see who subscribes. So I basically, if you subscribe, I can check. If I can tell you're a member of my community, I'm very, very likely to at least listen, uh, to listen for sure and maybe write about it. Then if someone says, I will listen to absolutely anything about Disney, the historical Jesus and the Donner Party. So someone that emails me and says, oh my gosh, I just did an episode on the historical Jesus. You're going to love it. They know me. They know what I like. That is gold when I get it. So a few of my best pitch letters have been like, it's almost like they were saving it up to send to me. They weren't pitching me every time. The more friendly, the better. Someone sent me a podcast about Italian food and they had sent pictures of Italian food, you know, so that definitely stuck out to me. But really the best letters are just treating me like a human and and proving that they like what I'm doing. And another piece of advice is email the person and ask how they like to be pitched. Email them straight up and say, hey, I, I like what you're doing. I'd like to work with you. But before I start pitching you, do you want episodes that ahead of time, you know, do you want long descriptions? Like, what do you want? Enough people don't do that, I suppose. Uh, I mean, you, you would certainly be the expert of that. I, and I wonder why that is. I mean, my first thought is they don't want to appear like they don't know what they're doing. So you just go in blindly. But like, I'd much rather ask and have a better shot at getting featured than, than to not and just spam it to 40 people and go like, I hope it works. If they're like, how do I pitch you, Lauren? Is that what you would say? Just being natural, coming with a, a good conversation? Or uh, is there something where you're like one to 300 words? Yeah, I, I only want website links. <laughs> yeah, website links. Or is there things that they need to add to it? I mean, I always like it when there's something to listen to immediately in one click. Sometimes people say, I have this show coming out in two months. And I'm like, I am going to forget about that in tomorrow. If I'm going to write about it and you can give a few facts, if there's a tricky doctor's name or something, you know, like any copy that I can kind of use to remind me of it is good, but not, you know, you don't want to have an entire document. Sometimes what I will do, if there is a little more information I want to send in one of my pitches, I'll give a very, very short note and say more info below. And if they want to read it, they can. So this is kind of the junk I'm sending everybody. But this stuff at the top, that's just for you. That's from Lauren's heart. 
So you can kind of give more information if you need. And I like that as a newsletter writer, like something a little personal. And then if more information is needed, send that in at the bottom. That's a great tip. Awesome. So if you're not doing any marketing for your podcast and you need to do one tip right now, which would it be? The first thing to get started, honestly, I think find 10 people who you want to be your friends and make make a list and that you want to set up play dates with and literally just email them and ask them to do a casual Zoom where you're not recording it. You're just saying, hey, what's up? What are you doing? I guarantee you'll come out of that meeting inspired, excited, and with at least one partnership idea. And you can imagine getting 10 partnerships out of this. That should be everyone's New Year's resolution. And and that works for any size show. Wow, that is uh, on the spot. A great answer. A great, great answer. It was one of the things actually I did when I got into this industry too, which is just set up calls with people and go like, hey, how's it going? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? Here's my experience. And and you guys just share and just talk and there's not anything that's like recorded or, or that comes out about it. It's just very cool. And you're just connecting with people. It's it's nice. It's why I love this industry so much. It's a lot about friendships. It is a an odd industry in that way that I think a lot of industries, especially arts industries, tends to be very like backstabby and cutthroat. And I'm sure there's some of that in in podcasting. I'm positive there is. But largely speaking, everyone's just like giving each other a giant group hug and like, you need help? I got you. Yeah, let's do it. It's a new year. It's 2022 finally. Let's talk a little about that. I mean, the industry has changed so much over the last two, three years, especially. It doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. So, Lauren, how do you think the industry is going to change for good or bad in 2022? My ideas are going to be very marketing focused. You know, I hope that people start thinking about marketing earlier and earlier in the process. I used to get approached a lot by people that said, we launched a show six months ago and no one's listening. Why? And I say, what what marketing did you do? And they say nothing. Can you help us? And yeah, I can help someone that has launched a show already. But I'm noticing that they call me earlier and earlier. So I think people will be thinking about it more. And also the need for marketing is more than ever. It will be harder to get those people doing it. So you're going to need help and it's going to be hard to find it. That's my guess. Because it's not a nice to have, it's a must have marketing for your podcast. And there aren't a lot of people, honestly, like me that are helping people do it. So that leaves you to do it on your own. Or, you know, I think a lot of people will hire marketing companies that don't know anything about podcasts, or they'll have someone on their team do it who doesn't have time. Everyone in podcasting wears 10,000 hats as it is. And it's somebody else who doesn't even understand marketing and doesn't want to do the marketing. But why I talk about this so much and why I love it so much is you don't need to hire someone. You don't need me. There's fun, free things you can do. You don't have to do all 104. Pick the ones that you like, but you you can do it. You got to be doing something and you can do it. You do have the power to do that. Another thing I'm hoping to see more is that people do start kind of like the first time I bought legal weed example, like thinking of new things they can do in their show that makes it easier to work with others. I want to see more partnerships, more cross promotion. I also think podcasters will start tracking their marketing a little bit more. I've started noticing that when I'm doing a promo swap, they'll ask if I'm on Chartable, which that never used to happen. So people actually want the receipts, which I think is a good thing because it's making it more official. Hopefully people will be 
looking at their data and making changes based on that data, which I don't think something people have had the time to do in the past. Your point was was perfect. I mean, I've I've said it to clients. I've said it to people we've had on the show. Everyone can do podcast marketing. It, it doesn't take a genius. There's we're not building something. We're not building a rocket here. It just takes time. It takes sweat equity. It takes either more time if you don't know what you're doing in order to get the data and figure out, okay, well, this isn't working, this is working, rather than hiring a company like us or, or like yourself. But everyone can do it. The problem is, is most people don't have the stick to and and the the desire to put in the hours of constantly ramming their head against a wall until something works. I also think people don't know where to start. You can call someone up right now, you know, do a promo swap. I think people think that it's this like outside thing that they they can't really do. Every time I talk to someone, I say, I want them to walk away excited to get started. And like, I cannot wait to do this one thing. At least one thing I say gets them excited to go do something on their own. That's perfect. Speaking about marketing, and I know we've already talked about there's no like one silver bullet. Uh, what What's the silver bullet now? Um, what, what do you think is going to be the most like bang for the buck universally way of marketing your podcast in 2022? Do you still think it's going to be like cross promo? Do you think Spotify ads are going to start being like the, the biggest way or, or anything like that? Well, I'm always going to believe in partnerships, but I do think in app is if there is a silver bullet, it's working with the apps. And I think the apps will change and get a little bit easier to work with, perhaps. Apple Podcasts and Stitcher have Airtable documents where you can submit to be featured. I think they're also, you know, Apple Podcasts has started providing ways to promote content to promote your show. So that kind of stuff, I think getting featured in an app is a big deal. So I think the apps are going to have to come up with better ways to feature people and podcasters are going to have to get smarter about how to become valuable for those apps. As we saw in the past year here, what do you see for 2022? Is Spotify just going to continue? Is Apple going to awaken? Is Amazon going to come stumbling in? Where are we going for the leading app? for 2022? My favorite app is Pocket Casts. So that is the app. (laughs) Really? (laughs) All three of us. Yeah, there we go. Oh, hell yeah. I don't know. I feel like if Amazon swoops in, they're going to do pretty well if they really, really dedicate themselves to it. I think that Apple has other priorities. I think they would have pulled out their stuff if, if they in the past, but I think Spotify will just continue to grow. So it depends on what Amazon does, I guess, is what I'm saying. But I think Spotify will take over. And, you know, I love Spotify for music. I absolutely love it. But I I think that they made too much of a similar... They just threw in a podcast app to that music app. And I think it's not what I want. The reason I'm going to Spotify is because of the exclusives, which drives me nuts. Because if someone used to pitch me and they would say it's a Spotify exclusive, I used to not listen. In fact, I missed a lot of Connie Walker's brilliant reporting because it was on Spotify exclusive. And now I'm going back because I'm like, I'm getting way too many pitches that are Spotify exclusive. I can no longer ignore. So I do actually find myself listening on Spotify. So do you think exclusives are going to continue to rise or are people going to be more platform agnostic? They absolutely will. And I, because I'm noticing myself shifting, I will always listen on Pocket Cast if I can, but I will switch if it's good enough, you know, if it's good enough. That's a big key. And that's that's another important thing. When we're talking about the cross promo, when we're talking about the newsletters. You know, obviously, if you're pitching Lauren here and you're an exclusive, you have to give a little extra. You know, you have to you have to be better than than the others because 
Yeah, it sucks having to go to one app you don't use, especially Spotify, because I'm not a huge fan of their app either for that stuff. Part of me does wonder, though, why there is such a rise in in Spotify exclusives. I guess maybe the the, the purchase of Anchor and, and the decision to go that way probably has more to do with it, but still weird why people would go that route when it doesn't really offer you any benefits. If you're independent and you only have a small audience, there's no reason to go exclusive on Spotify. No, yeah, they're they're not paying you millions of dollars a year. The thing that really doesn't make sense to me, it's just uh, we're speaking different. I'm speaking different languages than someone who is on Luminary or something like that, because you're getting a lot of money. But do you not care about your listeners because you can't get your listeners that way? I'm not saying that's a bad business model. I'm just saying it's not what I understand as a podcast consumer. Yeah, as we've talked about a whole bunch of times. The more often you can be seen, the better of a chance you have to actually stick in someone's brain when the time comes that I need that thing. And if you're only on Spotify and I'm never using Spotify as a podcast app, well, then I'm probably never going to listen to you, <laughs> um, regardless of what happens, because you you never come across me. I just never see what you're doing. Well, that's fantastic, Lauren. Real quick again, this was Lauren Passell, the podcast, the newsletter, podcastthenewsletter.substack.com. Tink Media at tinkmedia.co, podcastmarketingmagic.substack.com for that. And then, as always, you can just follow her on Twitter, which you should be, regardless of what's happening. Lauren Passell, P-A-S-S-E-L-L, on Twitter. That's all for this month's podcast news and opinions. If you like what you heard or found it valuable, please subscribe to our podcast and leave reviews wherever you get your podcasts at. Also, make sure to check out our other shows, the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting, where I teach you how to make better podcast content, sound better on the mic, and grow your podcast audience. We also have Cover to Cover, our podcast all about audiobooks. From writing to marketing, host Isabel Manjo helps independent authors turn their traditional books into top-selling audiobooks. And as always, check us out on Twitter at QDUP Audio. And go to our blog at mypodcastagency.com for even more great podcast advice and opinions.